You're listening to the Sunday Sermon from Cardington Church of the Nazarene in Cardington, Ohio. If you need prayer, encouragement, or support, please don't hesitate to reach out. As always, our website and email are in the show notes. We serve a great God, and it's my hope that He speaks to you through the sermon today. So how many of you like to talk about things you love? Yes, pretty much all of us, right? If you have a conversation with me, at some point in that conversation, there's 100% chance that I will talk about Wade. If you have a conversation with the Jolliffs, you're probably going to hear something about Shirley. If you have a conversation with Diane, you're probably going to hear something about her, her granddaughters, about Wade, or about Gatlinburg, Tennessee. (laughs) We all like to talk about things that we love. And most of you know by now that Chris loves random products. And when you talk to him, he has probably brought up Teslas, some sort of Google phone product, um, vacuums, kitchen appliances. He loves to tell everyone about the things that work for him, that he he loves. Well, a couple years ago, we bought a vacuum. And it was a very nice vacuum. It's a Dyson stick vacuum. I don't know what it's called. Chris, of course, does. Um, and Chris loved it a lot. And he went through this phase where anytime we would have friends over, he would, I'm not kidding, he would give them a vacuum demonstration. They didn't ask for it. It was always unsolicited. He would take the canister where all the dust and dog hair was, he'd dump it out on our floor, and then he'd vacuum it back up just to show everyone that this vacuum is great. And we actually had a couple friends who, after the unsolicited demonstration, went out and bought this vacuum. we're really fun to hang out with, if you can't tell. Uh, this passage, though, that we'll be looking at this morning is in the book of John. And the author of John wrote the book of John as an eyewitness testimony. He wrote this book to tell people about his experience watching Jesus. So he tells the stories of the miracles Jesus did in his ministry and just Jesus's life. And we did a series a while ago, I don't remember when, about the miracles of Jesus found in John. And in that series, we said that John writes the purpose of his whole book in chapter 20. And so in chapter 20, verse 31, it says, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that is the purpose of the whole book of John. The author is telling his experience of Jesus so that we may, too, know Jesus and follow him. But not only is the book of John an eyewitness account of Jesus, but the passage for this morning is John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. So we will be starting in John chapter 1. We're going to be in the middle, uh, verses 29 through 42. And let me give you a quick little background. The first part of chapter 1 starts with almost like a poem describing who Jesus is, Jesus incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, 
Jesus on earth. We've, most of us have heard it. We talked about it at Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so we move from that familiar passage down to John the Baptist telling his followers, John's disciples, that he is not the Messiah. And that is where we pick up in verse 29. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. And it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have testified that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So there's a lot in this passage. There's, it's a very theologically rich passage. There's a lot that we could unpack um, that we don't necessarily have time for on a Sunday morning, um, which reminds me that on Tuesday nights, as Chris announced, we have a Bible study, and we, at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall, and we talk about the passage that we read the previous Sunday. So this Tuesday at 6.30, we'll have more time to unpack this specific scripture. Um, last week was a great conversation and very encouraging, so you won't want to miss that. But anyway, this morning, we're not going to go super deep into it, but I want to focus on three main points. They used to teach you when you went to school to be a pastor that you should have three-point sermons. Uh, they don't necessarily teach you that anymore. Chris and I tend to only be able to remember uh, one-point sermons. So if you're like us and you need one sentence, here's the whole sermon and one sentence. Remember this if you can't remember anything else. You are important in the story of God. You are important in the story of God. So we look at this passage, and we have John the Baptist with a couple of his disciples, and he is trying to tell them, hey, don't continue to follow me. I'm not the Messiah. This guy over here, he is the Lamb of God. So Jesus comes around. He walks by John, and John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this, this is the first point. Jesus is the Lamb of God. I think most of us have heard that, but I'm not sure we've all thought about what that means. A lot of times when we think about sheep or lambs, we think of 
gentleness, maybe meekness, maybe purity, words like that. Some of us who have gone to church or read scripture or just kind of been around may think of the word sacrifice when we think of the lamb. And actually, the full reason why John calls Jesus the Lamb of God is debated among scholars and theologians. People don't know the exact reason, but most people who have studied biblical history believe that when John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, it has every bit to do with the word sacrifice. And stick with me for a second, because this next part is kind of jumps around scripture, but I think it's important to understand what the Lamb of God means. So when we go back to the Old Testament, we see people who sacrifice animals for their sin. The Old Testament is the first part of the Bible, um, and things were a little different before Jesus came. And so people had to sacrifice animals in order to cover for their sin. So the reason for the name, the Lamb of God, goes back to the Old Testament alluding to the animal sacrifice that would assuage, uh, make, make less intense um, God's wrath on sin before Jesus came. It started with Adam and Eve. We all know, right, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and when they sinned, they realized that they were naked. And so they tried to cover themselves with leaves, and then God sees them and finds them, and he, makes, he kills an animal and makes a covering for them that is appropriate for them. That event in the garden kind of leads to this sacrificial system in the Old Testament where, like I said, people have to kill animals for their sin. And then the whole, the whole main event of the killing animals kind of goes over to Passover where people had to put the blood of lamb on their door so that the plague of death would pass by their house. And so, again, people killed animals to cover for their sin. But then in Hebrews 10, which Hebrews is now in the New Testament, we see that the blood of animals doesn't completely take away sin. And so in a very short, maybe sort of confusing way, that's the significance of the Lamb of God. Because they were used to killing animals to cover for their sin, but that wasn't taking away their sin. But now John is testifying about this guy who has come, who is the one who's going to deal with the problem of sin. He's the one who's going to take away the sin of the world for good. He's the one who paid the ultimate price for us. So this is the one they have been waiting for for centuries. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That means he takes away my sin and he takes away your sin. He has the power to forgive you and he wants to forgive you of whatever it might be, you just have to ask. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from. Jesus wants to forgive you. All you have to do is turn to him and say that you need him. All right, so we have Jesus as the Lamb of God, but not only is Jesus the Lamb of God, but when Jesus noticed that John's disciples were following him, he turns around and we have the first recorded words of Jesus in the book of John. And he says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? What do you want? Those are the, the translations I read. They all kind of mean the same thing. And reading commentaries and studying this passage this week, 
Uh, it seems that the words, what are you looking for, was not just like a general question. It was more of a question of their souls, of their expectations. What do you want in life? What are you looking for? And then the two disciples following him say, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus responds, come and see. And they go with Jesus and they spend some time with him. This week, I was laying on the floor right there praying because I really could not, I read this scripture over and over again, and I just was not sure what the Lord wanted me to share. And I was, I was laying there and I was frustrated. You can ask Chris. I was like, I'm not preaching this week. I've got nothing. I don't know what to do. And then God said to me, what are you looking for? And it reminded me of a time in my life where I had to answer that question, which I've had to answer that question many a times. But I've told this story a little bit before, so you might remember it. But I was 19. I was a sophomore in college. I was double majoring in business administration and psychology. I was taking a full course load of some of the hardest classes for my major. I was working as hard as I could to keep a 4.0 because I thought that mattered. I was a janitor on campus so that I could pay for my school. I was busy, but I was doing all of this while feeling a call to be a pastor. The problem was that I didn't want to be a pastor. My family, I come from a family of pastors, and it wasn't always uh, fun growing up. And I wanted to make money. I, I wanted to do things. I wanted to lead my own nonprofit. I had all these dreams of what my future was going to look like. And I want, when you get down to it, I really wanted to do all these things because I thought that that's what it would take to make me feel worthy, to make me feel good enough. So I, I do. I work towards these things. I'm, I'm working hard. I fill my time volunteering. I, I study hard. I'm doing all the good things that I need to do. But no matter how hard I worked, no matter what my GPA was, no matter what I filled my time with, I just had this discontentment. And I don't know how to explain the feeling other than just an unsettled feeling that just lasted and lasted and lasted. It wasn't just a day. It wasn't just a week. It was just constant. I just didn't have any peace. So I went to a revival service. A revival service is basically just a church service where they bring in another speaker, and it's sometimes in the evening. So I went to a revival service on a weekday evening, and I listened to the preacher, and I heard the Holy Spirit kind of stirring in my soul. It was then that I had to answer the question, what are you looking for? It was in those moments that I had to decide if I was going to keep working for my worth, for the identity I thought I wanted, for notoriety, for money, for a good GPA, or if I was going to surrender my whole life to what the Lord had planned for me. And it was in that moment that I did that, 
And it's in that moment that I had peace. It wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want to be a pastor. But it was when I said yes to Jesus, hey, even if it means being a pastor, whatever it means, I'll follow you. I was forever changed. I spent time with Jesus, and I was forever changed. I've told that story maybe in part a little bit before, but I needed that reminder of the time where I had to ask myself, or God had to ask me, what are you looking for? His love and grace and forgiveness are why I'm here. So today, maybe God wants to ask you that question. What are you looking for? There's no shame in having to be asked that question. We all get our priorities mixed up and out of whack. Are you looking for approval? Are you looking for notoriety, tradition, ritual, routine, fun, pleasure? Or are you caught in sin that you can't get out of? went a little too far in a place and just can't quite pull yourself out? Or maybe you're just caught in the mundane routines of your daily life. Are you tied to tradition more than you are tied to Jesus? What are you looking for? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and Jesus is who you are looking for. It takes us to the third point. We're already there. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is who you're looking for. That's where fullness of joy and satisfaction and peace come. And then you are important in the story of God. John's disciples followed Jesus because of John's testimony. And then Andrew went and got his brother and brought him to Jesus. And he followed Jesus because of Andrew's testimony. What they all have in common is that they spent time with Jesus, and then they told other people about it. John the Baptist, John the Baptist testified about Jesus. That's what this whole passage is. He told his disciples, hey, don't follow me. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the, the disciples hear this, and then they go spend time with Jesus. And the Greek word used in this portion of Scripture for spend time with Jesus actually means abide. They abided with Jesus. And so then Andrew, after abiding with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, goes and tells his brother and brings him to Jesus as well. It was another testimony, another eyewitness. When we abide with Jesus, we are changed. And when we spend time with Jesus and we're changed, we have to talk about it. We have to. Have you told someone recently about your experience with Jesus? Have you talked to someone, maybe not, it doesn't even have to be about the time you got saved or this big thing that happened, but what is Jesus doing in your life right now? Because John, the author of the book of John's testimony, changed millions, countless of people. 
In fact, when non-Christians ask Christians, hey, what book of the Bible should I start with if I want to pick up the Bible? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say John, the book of John, because it's the story of Jesus. John's eyewitness testimony was important in the story of God. And then John the Baptist's eyewitness testimony was important for his disciples, and then, of course, countless other people, for them to follow Jesus. And then Andrew's testimony was important for his brother, and, of course, again, countless other people who needed to follow Jesus. As Christians, as people who know Jesus, as people who who go to church, right, and hear about the word of God, it should change us. We should look different. We should live differently. A relationship with Jesus changes us, and we shouldn't be able to be quiet about it. And a lot of times I think we get caught up when we're talking about sharing what Jesus is doing in our lives or sharing about Jesus to our friends or our neighbor, we think like, oh, we can't do that. We don't know the right words to say. It, it's kind of just weird to go and do that. But it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to sound good. It can be a sentence. Testimonies, things that Jesus has done in my life have sounded like this. At one time I felt abandoned and unworthy, but Jesus welcomed me into his family and calls me worthy. Or it can sound like this, God is my closest friend through deep, dark bouts of depression. Or I felt alone, but I found friendship with Jesus. Or I was filled with anxiety, but God gave me peace. God woke me up this morning. God gave me air in my lungs. God healed me. God is good. God cares for me. Whatever it is for you, got to share it with someone. It matters because we wouldn't be sitting here right now if John hadn't written the book of John, if John the Baptist hadn't fulfilled his story and, and told everyone about who Jesus is, we wouldn't be here right now. Your story matters in the story of God. You are important and you need to share it with someone. So the three things I want you to remember this morning Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My sins, your sins, your neighbor's sins, the people across the world's sins. Anyone who asks sins, doesn't matter who you are, God, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Two, Jesus is who you are looking for. Jesus is what you are looking for. Even if you don't realize it, even if you don't know it, there's no satisfaction, there's no peace, there's no joy like the joy that comes from Jesus. And three, you are important in the story of God. God wants to use your testimony to bring others into his kingdom. Sometimes our testimonies don't seem very happy, right? Sometimes God works in the yucky, hard stuff too, and people need to know that. People need to know that following Jesus isn't just about being happy all the time. He's also there in your darkest, deepest grief. You are important in the story of God. God wants to use you to bring others into his kingdom. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for hearing us. We thank you for sending your son as the sacrifice once and for all for our sins so we no longer have to pay the price. We just have to turn to you and say we need you. God, in these moments, we confess our need for you. We confess that sometimes our priorities get out of whack, that sometimes we forget what we're looking for and we start looking for other things, lesser things, God, and we pray right now that you gently remind us that it's you we are looking for. And then, God, I just pray that you embolden us, give us courage to tell others about what you've done in our lives, Help us give our eyewitness testimony to who you are so other people can experience the goodness that comes from friendship with you. God, we love you, and we know that you are faithful, and that you are good, and that you are kind. We know that you are compassionate, and that you're with us in the deepest, darkest moments, and the moments that are full of joy and celebration. Thank you for that. I just pray that as we go, that we'll feel your spirit in new ways this week, that, that we won't be able to keep quiet, that we'll just have to tell people about what you have done for us. We love you, Jesus. And we're so thankful. Amen. Go knowing that you are important in the story of God. You're dismissed.